word to us today and submit to it that we would be humbled by you and you would lift us up as we look only to you to help us now we pray. Amen. Well, it was all so crystal clear, wasn't it? Look at chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Such was God's generosity and kindness and provision. You can eat anything. But, verse 17, you must not eat from the tree in the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. A simple command. A test to show love and loyalty to God. But then came the deception. Chapter 3, verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The prospect of being like God was too great. The thought of deciding for themselves what is good and evil was too enticing. And they believed the lie, questioning God's word, doubting God's goodness, desiring God's place. What was meant to be an expression of trust in their loving creator turned out to be the first steps of open rebellion. That simple act of eating the fruit meant man had replaced God with himself. They had pushed God from his throne and shouted in defiance, I don't need God because I am God. But it's a lie, isn't it? Replacing God with ourselves is not a simple change in regime. It's hell. It's hell. Four words are going to summarise our text this morning. Four words to summarise the consequences of man's rebellion. Here's the first. Conflict. In the beginning, everything was good. Man created to reflect God's glory, enjoying his relationship with God. But when God's word was rejected and their word was put in place, then conflict came. We see this conflict in a number of ways. First, there's conflict with God. Look at verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The joy and intimacy of knowing God, of walking with God in the garden, has now been completely reversed. Instead of trust, there is fear. Instead of openness, there is hiding. They neither want God, nor are they looking for God. They're running and hiding, covering themselves in lies and deception. Their friendship with God has turned to enemies of God. The conflict also came with self. Look at verse 9. The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, 
I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Fear and hiding. All of a sudden, man has become conscious that something was not right. He's now wrapped by his guilt and shame, no longer at peace with himself, trying to cover over what he doesn't like. We might think of Adam's fig leaves and how they've become our mask. The things that we present to other people to cover over our faults, our flaws and failures. Desperately trying to fit in and measure up. We're at war with ourselves. We set standards that we cannot meet. We seek desires that never ever fulfill. We are at, we're not at peace with ourselves. There's an inner turmoil. But the conflict goes further than self and God is seen with each other. We've seen, haven't we, over the, the first few chapters how God's design for the sexes for male and female was a beautiful fit. Man working, woman helping, together they served the purpose of God. The husband guarding and providing, the wife encouraging and supporting. Equality was nurtured, difference was celebrated. But now, look at verse 16. To the woman, he says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. And then notice this, look at the end of verse 16. Your desire will be for your husband. The desire of the woman is the same desire that sought to control Cain. Have a look, just jump ahead to Genesis chapter 4, the next chapter on. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, we're going to come to this next week. But just thinking about it where it says, the woman's desire will be for her husband. The same thing is repeated here, but look at, the, look at how it's put. Chapter 4, verse 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Sin desires to control you, but you must rule over it. You must be the one that controls sin. Back to Genesis 3. You see, sin seeks to control and rule in harmful and negative ways. So the woman's desire for her husband is actually a desire to control, to manipulate, to, to get over her husband. Instead of gentleness, she becomes bossy and nagging and pouting, undermining his lead by exercising an autonomy. Everything becomes a fight within the relationship. As for the husband, look at the end of verse 16, chapter 3. It says there, the husband will rule over you. Rather than a rule which is serving and sacrificial and, and giving, it's a rule that now becomes domination and control. Instead of nurturing his wife so that she will flourish and that she will become all that God intends, 
He will crush her and break her. Such rule is abusive and harsh. Can you see how everything is about control? One trying to get over her husband, the other one trying to keep her down. This is the conflict we see played out in marriages all around us. And more generally, between the genders, between male and female, instead of teamwork and togetherness, men and women are in this fight, in this battle to rule the world. It's destructive. And it's an ugly battle. The conflict rages on. Not just between each other, but with the world as well. Look at verse 17. To Adam he said, Because he listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree from which I commanded you, you must not eat fruit from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. In the beginning God had said to the man and the woman, Subdue the world. Rule over it for your good and blessing. Now those roles have been reversed. It's like the world is now ruling over man and crushing him. Verse 18. It will produce thorns and thistles. Brokenness. Suffering. The world is broken. It's in conflict with man. Floods and famine. Hurricanes and tornadoes. Sickness and disease. Everything is now decaying. It's all distorted. There is another conflict. A conflict with Satan. But we're going to come back to him in a minute. But all these conflicts, conflict with God, with self, with each other, with the world, aren't they all experienced to some degree or another in our lives? every single day. The struggle and the suffering, the conflict rages on with increasing intensity. And there's only one winner. Who's the winner? Chapter 3, verse 19. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. We continue to fight. We battle on in the conflicts with weapons of pride and greed. But there's only one winner. Death conquers all. We're born fighters and we die as fighters. The conflict ends in death. For every one of us. So first, conflict. Second, corruption. The conflict that we see and experience all around us, well, it reflects the deep corruption that lies within us. This corruption is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is what happened when the first man and the first woman ate the fruit in the garden that they were told not to eat. It wasn't a mistake or a misdemeanor. Sin is replacing God with self. It's saying, I'm in charge now. I'm the boss. I'm calling the shots. 
You see, we're born sinners. We're born with Adam's sinful nature. Do you remember how King David put it? This is what he said. You can follow on the screen. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. But we, we don't become sinners later on in life when we get bigger. Sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. As soon as the egg in the seed, as soon as life is born, there is a seed of sinful nature there. We're born sinners. In other words, we sin not just because we do bad things, we sin because we are sinners. That's why we don't have to teach cute little children who smile and gurgle at us to get angry and lose their temper. We don't have to tell them that. They just do it. You see, we're sinners by choice and nature. It's the corruption of our whole being. In fact, we are so corrupted, we even resist God's gracious intervention. We are no, not me. Not me. Oh, I would never resist God. I, I would reach out to God. Well, look what happened to man and woman when they first sinned. Look at verse 8 again in chapter 3. The man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Now, this is not a game of hide and seek. Let's not think Adam has found the best hiding place in the garden, or that somehow his fig leaves are camouflaging him. And where is it? No, God knows all. God sees everything. The calling of Adam is an opportunity to repent, to own up, to take responsibility. Verse 10. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, well, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Here comes Adam's opportunity. Can you see him there in the garden? Falling down on his face before God. Yes, Lord, I did eat from the tree that you told me not to eat. I disobeyed you. I didn't do what I was commanded. I failed to guard and protect my wife. Forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned. I mean, that's what we would have done, isn't it? No, instead of confessing to God, he blamed God for his love. The man said to the woman, The woman, this beautiful gift that God has given us, you, you put her here with me. I mean, if he got the design better, it would have been better. She gave me some of the fruit from the tree. 
You see, it's never our fault, is it? It's always somebody else or something else. And it's not just the men who do the blaming either. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it he done? The woman said, Oh, the snake! The demon. It's him. And I did. That's how corrupted we are. We don't like to take responsibility. It's always something or someone else's fault. Pressure at work. That's the reason I have an affair. I mean, if pressure wasn't so great, I would have been alright. The car cut in on me. I wouldn't have got angry, but he was a really bad driver. She started. I'm tired. There's something we can learn here. Proverbs puts it like this. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces sin finds mercy. Searching, isn't it? Are we concealing something? Are we hiding from God today? God came looking for the man and woman. Why? Because he longed to restore. Here was the opportunity to confess, not conceal. The problem is we're no different. We don't like to confess. We prefer to hide and cover. We're corrupt. So there's conflict, there's corruption, and third, there's condemnation. God's response to our corruption may unsettle. We're held accountable and we are judged. It means two things that the passage certainly points out to us. First, it means separation. Look at verse 22. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. In the garden that God has made, man and woman enjoy life in all its fullness, a life full of goodness and blessing. They were eternally satisfied. Now God comes and says, they mustn't be allowed to eat from the tree of life. They mustn't be allowed to live on. In fact, they were to be cut off from the source of life itself. Verse 23, so the Lord God banished him from the garden. They are banished, separated from God. You see, God alone gives life. Not just physical life that he sustains us now with the breath that we breathe, but he gives us spiritual life. The life that we were made for. A life with God. But sin has broken in and has crushed and destroyed that relationship. That's the judgment we now face. We are banished. Shut out. 
denied access. And that's what every human being is born into. A life without a relationship with God. It's not we start out in a relationship with God and somehow make it fast. We are born into a life without God. A life that is unfulfilled and never satisfied as we go searching and striving. Instead of joy and peace, because of our corruption, we live under the judgment of God. Separated from the one who alone can give what we truly need. Now we might think, I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, it was just a little thing, wasn't it, really? Isn't it just a bit over the top? Surely God, of all people, could put up with a few lies and the odd tantrum. I mean, it, it, it doesn't... Why, why bring it to attention? Why can't God just overlook what's going on and just ignore it? It would be so much easier. But here's the answer. God loves us too much. He loves us too much. You see, to ignore sin or to overlook sin is to deny God his justice. Imagine if God were just to turn a blind eye. The fruit is taken. Oh, I didn't see that, really. You know, you can have access to the tree of life. It's all right. You know what that would mean? It would mean we could live as we please without any consequences. Nobody is held accountable. Nobody is punished. No wrong is ever put right. It's chaos and disorder. He loves us too much. Justice must be done. You see, God's banishment is just and fair, it's right and good. Verse 24. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim up like angels with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the ways of the tree of life. To let man have access and to eat from the tree of life is to pretend that sin doesn't matter. It does. We are denied access to the life we so desperately need. Now I don't find this easy. It's certainly not the way I would want to write stories. And if we find this unacceptable, it means we do not really see ourselves as we should, and we don't see God as we should. You see, God in all his beauty cannot have rebellious people in his God is pure and good. God cannot tolerate evil. Sin disgusts him. We might tolerate each other's behaviour. We can make excuses for one another. Oh, it's just their personality. It's just their character. It's just the way they are. We might even think that God is overreacting. But God banishing man from his presence reveals just how serious it all is. Here's a quote I came across during the week. In the blindness of our sin, 
We are ignorant of our true condition and we distort who God is. This means we grossly underestimate the depth of our sin before God. Like fools who think ourselves wise, we vainly try to relate God in our own image. God must take action. And in verse 24, he takes action. He drives the man out. This isn't just getting what we choose. This is getting what we deserve. Condemnation may unsettle us, but it's God's right response to the corruption in our own lives. Fourth, crushing. As God condemns and judges, God also makes a promise. You see, in the darkness of this chapter, in Genesis 3, there is a beam of glorious light. And it comes to us in verses 14 and 15. Have a look at verse 14. The Lord God has said to the serpent, Because you have done this, because of your deception, cursed be you above all livestock and all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly, you will eat dust all the days of your life. Satan is cursed. Whatever he was before, he is now humiliated, brought low by the Creator God. The one who thought himself crafty and clever is now put in his place. But there's something more. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Well, there's a strange verse. What does that mean? Well, first there's the promise. There will be enmity. There will be conflict. We talked about conflict with God, with ourselves, with each other, with the world. There will be conflict between Satan and the human race. That will go on. He may be cursed and humiliated, but he has not given up his deception. People are still believing his lies. You can be like God. But God is not done. A victorious champion has been promised. Look at what is said at the end of verse 15. He will crush your head. So God is talking to Satan. He will crush your head, Satan, and you will strike his heel. He. Who's the he? Well, it's a seed from the woman. One of her offspring is going to come. The woman's seed would be just like the first man, Adam, a son of a woman. But unlike Adam, he's going to love God, and he's going to be loyal to God, and he's not going to sin. Instead, he's going to inflict a blow that will ultimately crush Satan's head. The seed of the woman will be victorious and defeat Satan. He will destroy his hold over humanity. 
Although the woman's seed would suffer, Satan will strike his heel. It's not going to be fatal. He's going to live and be victorious. So who is this promised seed? Well, the promised seed is the serpent crusher. Have a look with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Satan did strike 
went to Jesus' heel. Jesus was crucified and died, but that fatal, but that strike was not fatal. Because three days later, Christ rose again from the grave, proving his victory over Satan and death. In Jesus, we have the life of fullness. How can this life be mine, and how can this life be yours? Well, it comes through trust. It comes through faith in God's promise. Just go back with me, please, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. The announcement of the serpent crusher was made to Adam. God had said that a seed would come from the woman who would crush Satan's head. And as God pronounced his judgment, he also promised salvation. Promise was so clear. And so in an act of faith, look at chapter 3, verse 20. Adam named his wife Eve. Eve means living. Because she would be, she would become the mother of all the living. You see, God, remember what God had said to Adam and Eve, you'll die. From dusty came to dusty return, you'll die. But not yet. Adam and Eve would, would live on a bit more and, and they would have a family, they would have children. One of their offspring would come to crush Satan's head. And so by faith, Adam called his wife Eve, the one who would give birth to all, the one who would give life. And so as they look forward in faith, to the one who is to come, we look back in faith to the one who has come, to Jesus, the serpent crusher, who has dealt that fatal blow once and for all, so that we might live forever, no more condemnation, no more separation, but enjoying life with him forever. Let's pray. stand back and see the mess that sin has caused. Conflict, corruption of our own lives, deserves condemnation. But yet in your compassion and your kindness, your great love and your grace, you have sent to us the Serpent Crusher, the Lord Jesus, the one who has dealt that final blow once and for all, so that we might have life today. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you that we can now have access to God. We can live in his presence without fear, without hiding, without worry. For you will never ever turn us away. You will welcome us with open arms. And when we sin, 
you will forgive us. And you will go on changing us to be more like your son. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Thank you for what you have done. Amen. So we're going to sing, In Christ alone my hope is found. He is our only one.